In a Newsweek interview some years ago, the actor Jim Carrey admitted that he had a great deal of curiosity about God. What is up there, he asked. What's God? I've spent my whole life wanting the roof to be torn off this thing. For somebody to say, yeah, there's a God, don't worry about it, you're taken care of. In the moments after his baptism, Jesus experienced what Carrie has been waiting for. Water dripped from his hair and beard. He prayed in grateful surrender to God. And he had a vision. Heaven opened. God's spirit, like a dove, swooped down to rest upon him. And Jesus also heard the strong, tender voice of God. You are my son, the beloved. You are my son. I love you. I am well pleased with you. A vision and a voice. Now Jesus had this experience on the threshold of his public ministry and it was the energizing and stabilizing center of Jesus' life from that point on. The vision, the vision sharpened his sight and insight. He saw God everywhere and in everyone. In the grass and the flowers of the field, in a cool cup of water and the flicker of candlelight, in crusty bread and deep red wine shared around the table, in the face of a stranger, in the sores of a leper, in the tears of the guilty, and in the playful dance of a child. The vision made him able to see God everywhere. And the voice tuned his ears and his heart to hear God's whispers around him and within him. In the songs of birds and the lapping of waves against a boat. In the words of Moses and the songs of the book of Psalms. In the pleas of the desperate and in those prayers which arose from his own heart. The, vo the voice helped him to hear God everywhere. And his experience in the Jordan that day gave him the courage to do what he did, to challenge the status quo, to speak up for the voiceless, to show compassion and welcome for the marginalized. The vision assured him that no matter what happened, God was near. And the voice promised him that whatever trouble he faced, he was God's own beloved child. Now, whether we know it or not, I believe that all of us yearn to see what Jesus saw and to hear what Jesus heard. We yearn to see heaven opened. In other words, to know that there is no separation at all between us and God and to trust that we aren't alone and on our own. And we hunger to hear that we are loved, to feel that our being in the world is a cause for joy 
and to rest in the assurance that all shall be well. And if our yearning is not met and our hunger is not satisfied, then we will live in fear and anxiety, feel ourselves diminished by shame and guilt, and carry the burden of emptiness and meaninglessness. We learn from hard experience what the aging folk singer Nick Nick Lowe was right to say, there is nowhere to run from what lack of love has done. Lack of love has brought the earth itself to the precarious brink of crisis. Lack of love has divided God's one human family into warring nations. It has left millions starving around the world. It's lack of love that keeps homeless people on the streets, lonely people in isolation, abused women and children in the shadows. Lack of love sends a six-year-old child to bed in tears, not with lullabies in her ears, but with the sounds of slamming doors, screaming voices, and then frightening silence. Her last thought before falling into a troubled sleep is, will Daddy be here in the morning? Lack of love pushes a man to do whatever he can to earn the blessing of his father. He plays sports he doesn't like, marries a woman he doesn't love, pursues a career for which he isn't suited, and adopts opinions which aren't his own, all to get his father's approval. But no matter what he does, it's not enough. It's never enough. It will never be enough. He won't hear. He won't hear because his father never heard. Those words that they're both desperate for someone to say. I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you. I love you. When Anne Lamont was a little girl, she had kinky, almost white hair. And her schoolmates made fun of her over her appearance. She said she was often the victim of drive-by shoutings. She admits that well into middle age, she's still haunted by those voices. But by now, they've become what she calls rap songs of self-loathing. The list of all the things she doesn't do well. All the mistakes she has made over an entire lifetime. Any of you, might not be a rap tune, but any of you know that song that plays with the list of all the things we've gotten wrong. All the things others have shamed us over. Several years ago, After a long day on the road and at a denominational meeting, I stopped at a not-so-good restaurant near Gastonia, North Carolina, for an evening meal. The meeting had been difficult, 
I was exhausted. It was really late. In fact, it was so late, I probably should have just stayed on the road to Asheville and skipped supper. But I was sleepy and thought some tea, some coffee might help, and I'll stop here in Gastonia and eat. But pretty soon, I wished I had just stayed on the road. Because one booth over from me, there was a party, actually more like a gang of six, four chronologically grown men, more about that in a minute, Uh, a, a young woman and a very young child, maybe two. They were all loud. By the way, I, I stayed in the Holiday Inn last night in the Tough Man competition. Was at the nearby <laughs> one? <laughs> they were all loud. Um, one, one of them was obnoxious. I mean at the restaurant. Uh, he was young, 24, 25, big and demanding. You know, he was the kind of guy that every time the frazzled waitress came by to ask how things were, he found some reason why they weren't right. He always needed something else. He enjoyed barking orders at her. He seemed to like watching her try to get it right when it would never be right for him. In in a high chair next to him sat that tow-headed toddler boy. It was way past this little fellow's bedtime. So understandably, he started to whimper and cry. And in response, this father tossed, just tossed some food over onto the tray of the high chair and told the little boy to shut up. And this little boy's crying, of course, grew louder instead. The dad's face flushed with anger. And trying to diffuse a budding crisis, the the man seated across from the dad asked, do you think the boy just might want to be held? It's late after all. And dad growled, no, he's just stupid. That's all. Like I said, I wished I'd stayed on the road to Asheville, and I've often wondered about that little boy. It's been a long time now. And how many cruel and condemning words has he heard by now? Will he ever be able to say to himself what I hope he can say to himself, which is, no matter what my daddy said, I'm not stupid. I'm not no count, no use, no good. The odds of his being able to say that to himself, the odds are steep against him. I tried. It was hard. But I tried to muster a little empathy for that young man who lashed out at his own boy. Now, I can't say on Sunday morning and should probably never say the words my feelings initially took. But after that, I tried to muster a little empathy for the young man. And I only got close when I wondered, had there been a time, maybe 20 years before this late night in Gastonia, when he'd been sitting maybe at a McDonald's restaurant somewhere, hungry and tired and crying, 
And had his father, his father, said to him something like, You better quit your whining, boy, or I'll give you something to cry about. Would he, could he, I mean the father of this boy, would he ever be able to hear a different voice? Could he, would he ever hear a voice which said to him, you don't have to be tough to be strong. You don't have to be in control to be respected. You don't have to hide your fears and your hurts to be a man. You're loved after all. You're loved. Now, always, could he, would he ever, the father and the child, could they ever, would they ever be able to believe that they are children of God? Can you? Can you trust that you are God's cherished Daughter, God's treasured son. Most of us have a difficult time, frankly, affirming and trusting that liberating truth. Because, to be quite honest with each other, we have a hard time with it because we know too much about ourselves. We, we know about our fears and our failures and our regrets. We know about feeling that we aren't enough, that we're not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, handsome enough, strong enough, cool enough, not enough. We, we know about that feeling of being inadequate and not enough. And we know, we can see it all around us, what our culture says about what it means to be a worthy human being. And according to the standards we see all around of us, around us, we, we just don't feel like we, we measure up. So we think before we can be loved, before we can be loved, we need to lose weight, get a better job, move to a nicer neighborhood, drive a sportier car, get sober, have whiter teeth, land the lead role in the school play, be a star on the team, fix everything we've broken, and guarantee the happiness of everyone who counts on us before we can be loved. You know, friends, one of the priceless promises of the good news one of the truths that comes through the vision and the voice of Jesus is that we don't have to measure up. We don't have to do a thing to be worthy of love because it has nothing to do with us except that it has to do with us as God's creations. We're made in the image of God. We're held in the arms of a God who has never stopped loving us, will never cease to love us, has never loved us more because it's impossible for God to love us more than God already 
loves us. And if we had time, we don't, but if we had time, we could look, say, at the book of Ephesians and learn from the book of Ephesians that what Paul teaches is that everything God thinks and feels about Jesus, God thinks and feels about us. Because we are in Jesus. We live in the force field of Jesus' life and spirit. So what God says to Jesus, God says to us. What God feels about Jesus, God feels for us. To paraphrase the great theologian Karl Barth, God has chosen us all in Christ. And at the deepest level, we are all called Jesus in the eyes and by the voice of God. This takes my breath away, friends. That God feels about us the way God feels about Jesus. When Rodney Romney was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Seattle, he told a story about his friend, Wes. Wes and his brothers and sisters had been placed in foster care when their mother died and their father became mostly (laughs) absent from their lives. Later, a physician and his wife adopted Wes. It was hard for Wes to trust his new parents, and he couldn't believe that anyone wanted him just for himself, he said, since no one ever had. One day, this was some years ago, one day Wes went with his adopted father, uh, who still made house calls. He went with his adopted father on a round of house calls. And Wes never forgot what happened At the first house they visited, the home of a woman who'd been sick for a long time, a man met them at the door, thanked the doctor for coming, and then looked curiously at the little boy who was tagging along with the doctor. And with pride and love in his voice, this doctor said, This is my son, Wes. Tears welled up in Wes's eyes and he said, no one had ever called me son before. And he said it happened all day at every house we went to. The door would open and he would say, this is my son, Wes. This is my son, Wes. My son, Wes. He said, by the end of the day, I got it. I had a new name. I was his son. And so because of Jesus, friends, God introduces us every day to the world. This is my boy, my son. This is my girl, my daughter. I'm proud of him. I'm delighted in her. So remember what the vision shows us. There is no separation between us and God. No wall between us and the divine. No barrier between our brokenness and mercy. No boundary between our sin and God's grace. 
no limit set between our present and God's shining future. Heaven is open. And the Spirit of God is always fluttering around us with hope and joy in His wings. And one more time, hear the voice. You're not. You really aren't who your failure, shame, and wounds make you fear you are. You're not. You are not. You are instead God's child. I love you, God says. I love you. And I take great delight in you. Amen.